in first Mark chapter one. Gospel of Mark. Gospels go in the order Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, second gospel. As we mentioned last week, probably not the second gospel written, more than likely the first gospel written, but second in order in your New Testaments there. Mark chapter one. When you get there, say got it. All right, now keep your finger there and turn to the book of Ephesians. <laughs> Ephesians chapter one. And when you get there, if you have one of these cool little thingies in your Bible, stick that there. If not, grab something in front of you there, a welcome card or whatever it is, and put it in Ephesians chapter 1 and then flip back to Mark. It's going to save us some time later. Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. Again, last week we started into the study of this gospel written by a man named John Mark. And as we mentioned last time, primarily his primary source of the information that he records for us, obviously we know is the Holy Spirit, but his human source the Apostle Peter, the one who spent so much time with Jesus, an eyewitness to so many things, and he records for us, and he begins the gospel, chapter 1, verse 1, we, it says the beginning of the gospel, but it doesn't go back to the, the nativity story. It doesn't go back to Jesus' birth. As a matter of fact, he picks up when Jesus is about 30 years old. And he's speaking of initially introducing us to a man named John. We know him as John the Baptist, the one who came as, as a forerunner to, to Jesus coming, the, the promised forerunner of the Messiah that was foretold in the scriptures. And John came baptizing and bringing a message of the baptism of repentance, as we noted last time, for the forgiveness of sins. And we pick up our study this morning where we left off last time in verse 9 where it says, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth, Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. And a voice came out of the heavens, you are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased." Jesus comes to John in the, in the area of the Jordan where he was baptizing, and Jesus is baptized. Now, we miss a little bit from the story, from the narrative that Matthew picks up for us because we should ask the question after reading and studying last week, why in the world would Jesus get baptized? We talked about it, it's for repentance, for the forgiveness of sins, but we know Jesus is the sinless one. Why would he be baptized? Well, we have a little dialogue that takes place between John and Jesus that's recorded for us in Matthew where Jesus comes to John and John says, I shouldn't be baptizing you. You should be baptizing me. And Jesus said, permit it at this time because it is a fulfillment of the righteousness of God. We need to understand that when we look at this, the righteousness of God is that which is right, that which is perfect, that which is complete in God, in himself. And as we mentioned many times, the gospel, the good news that we are studying here is something that was set in motion before the foundation of the world in eternity past. Understand that when God created the heavens and the earth and he put Adam and Eve in the garden and when they sinned, God, the triune God wasn't up in heaven going, oh no, what do we do now? The cross wasn't plan B, guys. Jesus coming and suffering in our place was an eternal plan of God. 
First Peter chapter one tells us that again, before the foundation of the world, and we're going to look at that a little bit more as we get later on in our study this morning. But part of the fulfillment, part of, part of fulfilling all of what it is that God has set in motion was that Jesus would be baptized. And in his baptism, we see again now the identification with you and I as sinners. Jesus not coming as a sinner the Bible tells us in Romans that he came in the likeness of sinful flesh. He had to come in the likeness of you and I to be again fully identified with you and I. And baptism is an external expression of that. It tells us in verse 10 in our study that Jesus came up out of the water, that he was fully submerged in baptism. John didn't sprinkle on his head. He fully submerged him in baptism. And when he came up out of the water, again, fully submerged, fully taking on identification with you and I. When we look at this and we, and we embrace the truth of this, guys, we see again some of the wonder of Jesus when he came. He didn't come born with a silver spoon in his mouth. He wasn't born in an ivory palace. He wasn't all of the things that if you and I had a choice as to where we would be born and the life that we would live, picking that type of thing. No, Jesus chose to be born to a family that had nothing coming from nowhere. As a matter of fact, that's a, not, a, not a thing to just gloss over. In verse 9, it says, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee. That's where Jesus grew up in Nazareth. That was Nowheresville. Nathaniel, who would become one of Jesus' followers, when, when, the, when Andrew came to him and was telling him, and Philip comes to him and tells him, we, I, we found the Messiah, and he's from Nazareth. And Nathaniel goes, Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Maybe you're from that town or that part of town. Where people said, man, could anything good come out of there? That's, where, that's the way the world looked at where Jesus came. Not only Nazareth, but Galilee. I mean, the people in Jerusalem, especially the religious leaders in Jerusalem, that's how they looked at the whole region of Galilee. When the Pharisees were talking, Nicodemus coming, and they're, they're talking together there, and they're rebuking Nicodemus for even giving any type of credence whatsoever to Jesus, they said, you know very well that no prophet comes from Galilee. But Jesus chose to come from there. Again, to fully identify with you and I. Willingly exposing himself, the creator, to his creation. He took your humanity, he took my humanity fully upon himself because that was part of God's perfect will from eternity past. It tells us, the author of Hebrews says this in Hebrews chapter two, verse 10, for it was fitting for him, God the Father, for whom are all things and through whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through suffering. The author of their salvation, Hebrews, the author of Hebrews tells us in chapter 12, the author Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. The author of Hebrews here telling us that it was part of God's eternal plan, part of God's perfect will, part of the righteousness of God that Jesus would come and that he would suffer. 
that he would be perfected. It's interesting that word is used there. Now we think, okay, wasn't Jesus perfect? Yes, Jesus sinless, but that's not what that word encompasses. What that word perfect there means, means to be absolutely complete. We know Jesus sinless. He had to be the spotless lamb of God. He could have no spot or blemish. But this is speaking of something, again, different. He had to He had to absolutely, completely, totally identify with you and I. It blows me away when when I think about that. Though none of us remember the event when it happens to us personally, that very well could be because it might be the most traumatic event any of us go through, and that's our birth. Can you imagine? Just, you know, put yourself in there. Everything's perfect. I mean, you're comfortable, perfect temperature, you're not too hot, not too cold. You got everything you need. You're never hungry. It's just, you know, just everything's coming. You're just growing. Everything's just happening. And all of a sudden, you get squished into this tiny little thing. All of a sudden, wait a second, I can't move. And then all of a sudden, you, you come out in all the bright lights, and then it's cold, and somebody slaps you on the rear end. And I mean, it's, what is going on? I don't know about you, but if I could skip that, I probably would have. But it doesn't just stop there again. The creator of the universe, the creator of all things, the creator of language had to learn how to speak. The living word had to learn how to read. Long before Jesus walked on water, he had to learn to walk across the living room floor, letting go of of Mary's finger and maybe taking steps towards Joseph. He exposed himself to everything, guys. Jesus grew in wisdom and experience as he grew older, living with the curse that sin brought on the world. The sinless one placed himself in total exposure to the curse that sin brought. Suffering as he goes through, experiencing again everything that you and I go through. He, again, didn't choose to be born in a palace where he didn't have to do anything all day long. He chose to be born to a poor carpenter where he had to learn that trade from a young age. He placed himself under the curse of the land where you will have to work, as God said back in the, back in the beginning as he laid out the curse for man. You're gonna have to toil. You're gonna have to work, and Jesus did. No doubt he got splinters. No doubt he got blisters. No doubt He got a smashed thumb when he missed the nail just by that much. He went through it all. He experienced everything. He experienced the pain of separation from loved ones. He experienced sorrow as he saw people treat each other less than with the love that the Father gives. He experienced sorrow and, and, and angst when, when he faced betrayal by those closest to him. He went through it all. He was perfected, made absolutely complete, guys, because he didn't skip any of it. Complete, lacking nothing. That's what that word Perfect means there. Total identification. And because of that, no matter where you are today, no matter what you're experiencing right now, he understands. He sympathizes with what you're going through. 
He has compassion on you. He knows how it feels. He didn't skip any of it. And that's why he can say to you here today, whatever it is that you're carrying, he says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, all who are buried in those types of things, bring that load to me, give that to me, I will give you my load and it is light. Come to me, all of you, and I will give you rest for your souls. Jesus was baptized, again, to fulfill the will of the Father so that he could fully identify with you and I. He comes to the Jordan River. He comes as all the others were. Verse 9 shows just like everybody else, but verse 10, all of a sudden things get really different. <laughs> this baptism was like no other. It tells us that when he came up out of the water, it says, the heavens opened. The translators no doubt miss a little bit in the translation of this because that is the same word that Mark will use later that when Jesus cried out, it is finished on the cross, it says the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. Same word to describe the heavens. So when it's opening, it's not like just this small little opening to allow a dove to come through. No, the heavens were torn apart. We don't know what that looks like, but it was a pretty dramatic event. Then it says that the Holy Spirit descending like a dove upon Jesus, coming upon Jesus. And it wasn't just Jesus who witnessed that. We know at least John witnessed it as well because in the Gospel of John, John the Baptist speaking says, I know he's the Messiah. I know he's the promised one because I saw the Spirit descending upon him like a dove and, and the heaven had already revealed, God had already revealed to him that the, the one he saw that happen to would be the one. So we know that that, that is an event. But then the Father cry, crying out in a voice that says, you are my beloved son and you I am well pleased. Wow, what an event. Now, before we move past this, the, if you look through the Bible for the word Trinity, you're not going to find it. But if you ever find somebody that's going to argue about the Trinity and, and all of that and say, well, the word Trinity is not in the Bible, okay, great. Have them read these two verses. <laughs> the Trinity's right here. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Guys, that's an essential doctrine. That's not just one of those that says, ah, take it or leave it. No. <laughs> Our God is a triune God, three in one, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But I want to spend some time this morning looking at this, this last statement here in verse 11, the, the words of the Father, you are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. What did that mean about Jesus, and what does that mean for you and I today? Well, first of all, we need to understand what, what the Father was saying. He says, in you I am, I already am well-pleased. Already the Son has pleased the Father, and again, it was through obedience. It was through everything that he had been sent to do. To that point, he had been obedient with, and he will continue to towards the end, right before he goes to the cross. It's recorded for us in John 17 as he's praying to the Father, I have accomplished the work that you've given me to do. I've fully accomplished it. Again, the spotless Lamb of God, Philippians chapter 2, Paul records for us that, again, through his entire obedience, it tells us that he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. 
And that is so important, guys, again, because as I mentioned at the beginning, the righteousness of God is full obedience. Nothing left out of the plan of God, the purposes of God, the will of God. And Paul will write this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He made him, that's, that's the father, made the son who knew no sin, who was fully and completely righteous to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In order for him to take our place, in order for us to have this, this amazing switch take place, God, God, Jesus had to be perfect. He had to be sinless. He had to fully be in, in compliance with the righteousness, the righteous will of the Father. Because you and I haven't been. You and I aren't. Jesus was the perfect toddler. He never once threw a temper tantrum in the supermarket. Jesus was the perfect little boy, obedient to his parents in everything. He was the perfect teenager, young man, facing all of the peer pressures that come, facing all of the temptations. He was the perfect adult never getting caught up in self-promotion, never being overcome by greed or personal ambition. Perfect in every way. And he had to be. Because he had to, he had to be that in order for him to give us that so that we might become the righteousness of God. Notice in him, in him. Could we put that verse back up again, please? Second Corinthians 5.21. I want you to notice this because this is where we're going. We're gonna spend the rest of our time this morning. Notice again, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. Notice, in him, in him. You see, Jesus was baptized physically, and I mentioned that as part of his identification with us. Guys, our baptism is our identification with him. And when I speak of our baptism, I'm not talking about our water baptism. Our water baptism is symbolic of another baptism, a spiritual baptism. Paul says this in Romans chapter 6. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized, notice, into Christ Jesus, that's not speaking of our water baptism, that is speaking of this spiritual baptism, fully submerged, fully immersed, our baptism into Christ Jesus, have been baptized into his death. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. Our water baptism, we do in response and in obedience as a, as a symbolic representation of this spiritual reality that happens when we are born again. Being baptized 
into his death. Guys, understand what that means. Yes, Jesus died for me, but I also died with him. Jesus died for you, but as a born-again believer, you also died in him. Being born again is an eternal, unalterable covenant with Jesus. And we are baptized into him, as Paul tells us there in Romans 6. It's a supernatural thing, but guys, understand what it means. He died. When he died, so did we. When he was buried, so were we. When he rose again, so did we. And when he ascended into heaven and seated at the right hand of the Father, so are we. Now, I don't know if any of you right now are saying, hang on a second, I got the first three because I just read that in Romans 6, but I didn't see that in Romans 6. You got a verse for that, Pastor Brett? I am so glad you asked. Yes, I do. <laughs> That's why I told you to mark Ephesians. Flip over there with me. Because I know that's how you are. You're Bereans. You don't just take what I say. God bless you for that. Ephesians. Now, we're going to end up in chapter 1, but I want to go to chapter 2 first. And let's start with verse 1. Because Paul lays out for us here in the book of Ephesians this amazing truth, and we're going to look at this right now in the first couple of verses here in Ephesians chapter 2, that Every single one of us in this room right now or anybody watching online, we are all either were in this condition or currently are in this condition. Notice what he says here, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. We either were or we are dead, not sleepy, not sick, dead in trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. That's Satan of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Verse three, among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath even as the rest. In the domain of Satan, the dark, sinful state where, where we have no power over sin in our life, no, con, no control in that, just giving ourselves over to the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Verse four, though, starts with the two most glorious words, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And here we go, verse six. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. Note, in Christ Jesus. Seated us, not will seat us, seated us, past tense, in Christ Jesus, in the heavenly places, so that in ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us. Again, there it is, in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Guys, verse six tells us this glorious truth. We are not with Jesus in heavenly places yet, but we are in 
Christ Jesus in the heavenly places now. We are no longer in Satan's camp, no longer under his dominion in his kingdom, but we are currently and eternally in God's kingdom, in his domain. Colossians chapter one, verse 13, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Rescued, transferred, past tense, eternal truths. Charles Spurgeon said this, and I, I love the, the, what this says, and we'll look at this unpacking it a little bit more for you and I today. But he says, little faith brings your soul to heaven. Great faith brings heaven to your soul. And I want to address that first part right now to anybody who is here, anybody who's listening, anybody watching, who has not made Jesus Lord of your life, who is not saved, who is not born again. All it requires is a little faith. You can't earn it. You can't work for it but you must surrender, you must repent, you must receive the free gift. We just looked at this, again, look at verse eight. For by grace, unearned favor, you can't work for it, you can't do anything to obtain it, it's a gift. It simply has to be received. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. Not gonna, I'm not gonna tell you any different, you have to receive it in faith. It's not gonna be something tangible that you can grab a hold of. You have to receive it in faith. It is response. It is a supernatural thing. The Holy Spirit right now working on your heart. Receive what is being extended to you. And that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. You have to simply receive it today. But for those of us here this morning, saved followers of Jesus, born again, Understand what this is telling us. We currently are right now and will eternally be in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. We have fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit through this, and we have access to all that that means. And that's why we're gonna jump over to chapter one of Ephesians because he just gives us this taste Let's, let's start with verse two. Ephesians chapter one, verse two. Grace to you and peace from, from God our Father. Whose Father? Our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whose Father? The Lord Jesus Christ's Father and our Father. Same family. Notice, who has blessed us, not will bless us, has blessed us with Every, not some, every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. Are you seeing a theme here? In Christ Jesus. As believers, that is where we are. And because of that, notice again, has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Everything that is available in the heavenly domain, in God's kingdom, available to us because we are in Christ Jesus. Verse four, for he chose us, notice again, in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. He chose us again 
in him before the foundation of the world. Not not because we were holy and blameless, because none of us are. Not if we would be holy and blameless, because none of us would be on our own. But notice how it says it here. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. I loved taking the literal text sometimes exactly how it is written in the Greek. And this is it, literal word-for-word translation. In him, we be holy. In him, we be holy. In love, verse five, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. Predestined us, again, in Christ before the foundation of the world to adoption as sons and daughters. Adoption. Understanding in the culture at that time, the special position of an adopted child. Fully, completely, absolutely all the rights and privileges of sonship or daughtership. Not second class. Fully brought into the fold of the family. I heard a story of two 10-year-old boys, brothers. One was naturally born to the family. The other was adopted into the family. And they were fighting as only 10-year-old brothers can. Just going at it. Knock down, drag out, wrestling, screaming at each other. And it finally got to the point where the natural son says, I don't know what your problem is. You're not even really part of the family. You were adopted. And the other one says, oh, yeah, you know what that means? That means they chose me. They were stuck with you. (laughs) Chosen. Adopted. That's you and I. In Christ Jesus. And, and again, it's, it's not because, I don't know how many of you maybe support children through, through compassion or another agency where you maybe looked through a bunch of pictures and profiles and, and chose and that type of stuff. That's not how God did it. He didn't go through a whole bunch of packets and say, oh, you know what, they're kind of cute, you know, or nothing like that. In Christ, he chose us before the foundation of the world. And verse six the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestows on us, note again, in the beloved. The grace that is poured out on us. If you have a King James translation, I love how it's translated in the King James. It says that we are accepted in the beloved. Accepted. Guys, when we're born again at that moment, we are accepted by the Father in the beloved Son with which he is well pleased. Accepted in the beloved. It's nothing nothing we do to earn it. He continues, verse 7 and 8, real quick. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins, according to the riches of his grace which he lavished on us. It's not, again, because of anything that we do or earn. It's by his grace that he pours out. And again, we covered this already back in verse 5, the kind intention of his will. It's all because of the will and love of the Father, the grace that he pours out that we are in Christ. 
It's nothing that we do to earn it. He completely transforms us from our former position, lost, dead in our transgressions and sins, in, our old, in the old Adam, to the, our eternal present position in his beloved son. John writes this in 1 John chapter 3, the first part of verse 1. He says, see how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God. And such we are. Verse 2, he starts out this way. Beloved, <laughs> now we are children of God. I make such a big deal out of this this morning because this has just been something that God just totally laid on my heart this week. And I hope, I hope this, this blesses and encourages, challenges us because so many... If you're here today and you, you're, you are not a born-again believer and you are trying to earn your, your way to a, a relationship that is acceptable in the eyes of God, please hear me, you can't. But also, to all of us here today as believers, so many of us still try to do things so that we could be accepted by God. You can't. You cannot be accepted outside of Christ. But hear this glorious truth. When you are in Christ, you can't be unaccepted. That is, a, that is eternally what we have. The Father accepts all who accept his Son. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Notice again here. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Not will be. He is. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Guys, we can't earn it. We can't work for it. I also know that there are so many that struggle with their value, their worth before God. I, I hope to have the privilege again, I'm planning on it, Lord willing, later on this summer, I'm gonna be making another trip back to South Sudan to visit the chaplains there. I had the privilege to do that a couple of years ago. Such a blessing and planning on doing that should the Lord allow me that privilege again this summer. But it's, it's such an amazing thing, interacting with those guys. But uh, guys, it's a very different world over there, in case you don't know, in a lot of different ways. But one of which is how they go through the whole engagement process to be married. And, and it starts off by paying a dowry for, for your bride. And that, because they don't have... Money isn't a large part of what they do. It's usually with something, an animal or something that they would give in exchange and I heard the story I was told one time where this, this father had four daughters, and the oldest daughter was not very attractive. Matter of fact, was often ridiculed for her appearance, and when she became of age to, take a, to have a husband come for her, no one came. And when the next oldest daughter came of that age, the other three were absolutely beautiful. 
And the next one that came to that age, it was almost immediately, a young man from the village came and said, I would like to have your daughter's hand in marriage. I don't have much to give you, but I, I do have this chicken. Would you accept this chicken in exchange for your daughter? And this man didn't have very much at all, so he said, absolutely. So he took the chicken, gave his daughter. The next one gets of age and a young man from the village comes right away and, and says, you know, I've been waiting for this time to come and I would love to ask for your daughter's hand in marriage. I don't have much, but I have this goat. Would you accept this goat in exchange for her? And he said, absolutely, man, I got a chicken, now I got a goat. And then when the youngest came of age, this man came from the village and he didn't have much at all except a young calf that was barely hanging on to life. I mean, it was, it was really struggling, almost on the verge of starvation, but that's all that he had. And the, he brought that to the father and the father said, well, I'll see what I can do to, with that. Hopefully someday it'll become a cow, but okay. And so he gives away his youngest daughter. Still no one came for the oldest daughter. A couple of years later, a young man passing through, not even from the village, from another village, walking through, and he sees her, and immediately his heart is absolutely raptured by her, just totally falls in love with her love at first sight. And he goes to the father, and he says, I would like to have your daughter's hand in marriage. May I? Yes, 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 yes. Well, I haven't even offered you a dowry yet. I, I haven't even told you what I could pay for her. All I have are these five cows. Five cows. Okay, yes, yes, five cows. And he takes the daughter and he, he leaves and he goes back to his village. Well, fast forward a couple of years. The daughter returns home to, to visit the family. And immediately, everybody notices there is something amazingly different about her. She just radiates. She just got a smile and just joy pouring out of her. And her three sisters come up to her and goes, what in the world happened to you? Well, what do you mean? Well, you just radiate. You're just, you're just glowing. You're just so beautiful. What happened? She goes, what do you mean what happened? I am a five-cow bride. <laughs> so many are trying to be worthy. Guys, our worth is based on what was paid for you. Our worth is because God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son for you. You can't improve on that. We are who we are in Christ because of his finished work and his incredible worth. And we are in Christ Jesus. People also think that sin makes us less accepted by God. Please understand, sin disrupts the perfect fellowship that we can have with the Father. It, it, it gets in the way of the communion that he desires to have with us. But please hear me, you are no less accepted because of where you are. You are in Christ Jesus as a believer. That would mean that Jesus would have to be all of a sudden unaccepted. 
Our acceptance does not change, ever. Romans 8, that glorious chapter, starts out with verse 1, right? And you probably all, we could recite it. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's, that's how chapter 8 starts, right? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The chapter ends in verse 39 where it tells us that nothing is able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. No condemnation, no separation, guys, because of not, not who we are, but where we are in Christ. Now, Again, God disciplines those whom he loves. He, does it, he loves us too much to allow us to continue in a sinful behavior in our life that would, that would get us off track, that would continue to separate that. And that's why Hebrews 12 tells us this in, in verse 4. You have not resisted to the point of shedding blood and you're striving against sin. And you, have, and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. We are children of God. And because we are children of a God that loves us so much, again, when there's sin in our life, when there's things that's not pleasing to him, he disciplines us. And guys, that's not a bad thing. He goes on to say that, that through that and through repentance, we share in his holiness. Quickly, as we, as we close, Colossians chapter 3 Verse one, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. Notice, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Guys, that's coming. We will be with him then, but we again are in him now. He was rejected. He was forsaken. He was, he was abandoned on the cross after he fully identified with you and I and became sin on the cross and bled himself out into the ground on your behalf and mine so that right now we could be accepted in him. I've heard it put this way, and I'd like to close with this explanation. On that day... On that day when Jesus went to the cross, on that day when he became sin on the cross for you and I, on that day, the Father treated him as though he lived yours and my sin-filled, pathetic, rebellious life so that on this day, the Father treats us as though we lived his perfect, sinless life. That's how he looks at us. That's how he views us, again, because we are in Christ. We're not just forgiven. We're not just justified. We're not just washed. Guys, we are adopted and accepted. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how you feel about it or what others think about it. It's a positional reality. We are in Christ. And that should motivate us 
to lives that are pleasing to him. Paul writes that we should walk in a manner worthy of this unbelievable truth, this gift that's been given to us. It should change the way that we, that we think about ourselves, the way that we treat and think about others. It should change all of that. But guys, this morning, I just want us to just embrace this amazing reality, this amazing truth. And again, if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, you're somehow still trying to earn your acceptance with God, you're somehow trying to prove your worth to him, you can't. Please accept this truth today, that you can be saved and forgiven and have eternal life today. You can be in Christ, not because of anything you've done, but because of his completed work on the cross for you and his immeasurable value that was paid for you. Would you please stand? Let's pray and and let's sing a song of response to our king. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the fact that you chose, in obedience to the Father, you chose to be fully identified with us, to take on human flesh, to not skip out on anything, but to experience all that we go through. The word even tells us, Lord, that you, you faced every temptation that we do, yet without sin. And Jesus, we thank you then for, for laying your life down for us. So that we could be righteous and holy and pure before the Father as we are fully identified through spiritual baptism into your death burial, resurrection, and ascension. Lord, I pray today that as we just even meditate on all that is ours because we are in you, Lord, I pray that that would first just bless our hearts. But Lord, that it would then change our attitudes. Lord, that it would that it would drive our motivations. That Lord, you would use that this week as we as we encounter those who don't have this glorious truth. And if that's you here today and you've never taken that step to, to embrace this reality, that it's not about what you can do. It's all about what Jesus has done. I want to invite you to just go humbly before your creator right now in your heart and respond to the Holy Spirit speaking to you and just simply surrender. Receive what has been given to you and just say, God, I'm a, I am a sinner and I'm sorry that I've somehow felt that I can somehow produce something that is worthy enough, that is good enough. When Jesus, you gave your perfect life for me. So right now, I invite you to come into my life. Wash my sin away and give me this, this gift of eternal life. Have your way in me. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.